Welcome to the Hardwick Evangelical Church Weekly Podcast. We are continuing our series on justice. And what we're looking at today is we're looking at the, the idea of justice, or the concept of justice, as an encounter, and as an encounter with ultimately Jesus. And so if you've got Bibles, we're going to turn to Mark. Um, it's Mark chapter 5, and we're starting in verse 21. And it is the, the account of Jesus raising a, a girl from the dead and healing a sick woman. What we'll find as we look through the Account, what we tend to find is there's a predominant story in this, and that tends to be the story of Jesus raising the girl from the dead. And what tends to be maybe not forgotten, but maybe slightly wedged to one side, is the story of the woman that Jesus heals of her illness. But we're going to pick this up in, in Mark chapter 5, verses 21. This also appears in Luke and Matthew, so if you want to be diving around around the pages. If you've got nimble fingers, you can be flipping between the three. But we will predominantly be out of Mark today. Just to start in verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. (coughs) So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once... Jesus realised that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, Don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion 
with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. As we continue in our series on justice, having read that passage, having listened to it, for a moment I'd just like you to consider what is it that you see when you read that passage? Perhaps what you see is Jesus performing miracles. Perhaps you see faith on display. Perhaps you see shame and derision imposed on a woman. Perhaps you see contrasting examples of wealth and privilege at play. Or perhaps you see laid out in these stories two approaches to injustice in the world and a challenge by which camp you find yourselves in. It is the two approaches characterised by the friends of Jairus and the woman who has been bleeding for ten years. It is the approach that on one hand states, your daughter is dead, why bother the teacher anymore? Compared to the approach that is prepared to embrace shame and embarrassment and derision, to merely touch the coat of one who can ultimately make the difference. Why bother the teacher anymore? It's a very interesting question, it's one we will come back to. I do really love this story in the Gospel of Mark. It is a very vivid and engaging account of Jesus delivering restoration to two people, but in two very different ways. I particularly enjoy because of the various motifs and themes that Mark explains and brings out as he tells both stories. It's worth at this point, as I just mentioned at the start, mentioning the structural and narrative work at play here in Mark 5. Verses 21 to 24 are about Jairus, as are verses 35 to 43. Jairus and his daughter are the main subjects in both these sections, yet sandwiched in the middle are the verses where Jairus, it's not that he disappears, but he's not the main subject, and another person becomes the main subject of this story. A woman who has been bleeding for 12 years. And this jars as we read it, and I think it's precisely because it's meant to jar as we read it. <coughs> There's no indication that these events didn't happen as Mark suggests they did. But the way they are written, as a reader, you are jolted by the shift of gear changing from Jairus to the woman. 
It's been written by some commentators that both stories can be read in isolation, two separate and distinct events. But I think from my reading of it, I think more can be gained by the meaning and inference that each account brings to the other. Firstly, one of the motifs that Mark picks out from this, and he makes it in the first eight verses, is he picks out the motifs of posture and stature. As we start verse 21, we're met by Jairus. He's a synagogue leader, a role that would have given him status and stature in his community. He wouldn't have been a poor man. The fact he even has a name in his account suggests that he is known. Jairus has clearly heard of Jesus and he takes the opportunity of seeing him landing on his shores not too far away from him to go and find him and plead for the life of his child. And in the second part of verse 24, we're introduced to the bleeding woman. We have to refer to her as that because she doesn't have a name. But note that for both Jairus and the woman, the setting is the same. It's a large crowd. One that Mark describes when talking about the woman as being pressed all around Jesus. And in the same way we get a flavour of the stature and standing of Jairus, we too are given an insight into the standing of the woman in society. And from the off, we are handed the contrast of the woman sitting at polar opposites to Jairus. Mark describes her as a woman who has been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal. On the one hand, we have Jairus, well-known, respected, and a man of standing. On the other, we have the woman, shunned and cast out from society as a result of the condition that afflicted her. In the same way we can infer details of Jairus' wealth from the job that he had as a synagogue leader, Mark is much more explicit in his description and contrast of the woman's wealth. She has spent all that she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. In the first eight verses, Mark introduces us to the two main subjects of the account, a wealthy, well-off and respected man and an unclean, poor pariah of a woman. Yet what Jairus and the woman lack in similarity of standing and status, they make up for in unity of faith and posture. And notably, it's the faith and posture when approaching Jesus. For both the man of standing and the unclean woman find themselves prostrate at the feet of Jesus. Verse 22 reads that Jairus fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. The woman too approaches Jesus surreptitiously attempting to touch his cloak. The similarity between both approaches to Jesus is the utter desperation shown by both Jairus and the woman. Jairus, driven by desperation to see his daughter healed, throws himself at Jesus' feet. 
He risks the embarrassment and the gossip of a synagogue leader presenting himself like that to Jesus, pleading with him, because he is overwhelmed with concern for his daughter. The woman too shows utter desperation in just placing herself in the crowd to start with. For her, the public shame of being unclean in a crowd where she was not meant to be would have been very real. Not to mention the pain and the physical discomfort that it would have taken to get herself to that place. The wealthy, well-off and respected man and the unclean, poor pariah of a woman united in their desperation and posture before Jesus, willing him to help them. In reading and rereading this passage, I was struck by the risk taken by both Jairus and the woman in embarking on their approaches to Jesus. Jairus has chosen to leave his dying daughter to find Jesus. But there is no guarantee that he will find him. And even then, with such a large, large crowd around Jesus, there is no guarantee that he would even help. Similarly, the woman takes a monumental risk, placing herself in a position of extreme discomfort, venturing out from whatever place she has found herself away from the disapproving crowd. And not to offend our Western 21st century sensibilities, but the very obvious physical shame carried by such a condition suffered by the woman makes her risk-taking all the more admirable. Yet they take this risk. Yes, it's out of desperation. You could quite easily characterise both Jairus and the woman's approach to Jesus as being the last roll of the dice. Jairus' daughter is close to death. We must think that after 12 years of bleeding, the woman must not have been far behind her. But ultimately, they knew that Jesus was worth the risk. In both cases of Jairus and the woman, we read that both have ultimate surety of what Jesus is capable of. Verse 23 reads, this is Jairus speaking, Please come and put your hands on her, on her so that she will be healed and live. And verse 28 reads, this is the woman speaking, Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Both Jairus and the woman approach Jesus in very different ways, from very different places, but in, are united in their belief that Jesus is ultimately the answer to their problems. And Jesus responds to the faith of both Jairus and the woman. In Jairus's case, Jesus doesn't say anything that we can see, or that is, is mentioned, but instead he acts and he agrees to go and visit Jairus' house. In verse 29 we read that in the case of the woman, the faith that she possesses causes her bleeding to stop the moment she touches Jesus' cloak. Indeed we read a few verses later, Jesus saying, your faith has healed you. 
But while their faith causes Jesus to act, he chooses to act in two very different ways. Jesus' response to the faith shown by Jairus is to do what he asks him to do, to come with him. Jairus has specifically asked Jesus to come with him and heal his daughter. But we know that Jesus didn't need to go with Jairus in order for his daughter to be healed. We see in the accounts of the Roman, cent Roman centurion in Matthew 8 and in Luke 7 where a Roman centurion asked Jesus to heal his servant who was paralysed and suffering. Jesus offered to come and heal the servant, but the centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. Jesus was amazed by the centurion's faith and declared that the servant would be healed, and indeed he was healed at that very moment. Another example of John 4, where a royal official asked Jesus to heal his son who was close to death. Jesus responded, you may go, your son will live. And the official believed Jesus and returned home to find that his son had indeed been healed at that very hour. Yet Jesus chose to respond to Jairus by going with him to visit and heal his daughter. It is a direct response to the faith shown by Jairus, the faith that causes a stricken father to leave a dying daughter to seek out the only person he knows who can bring about healing and restoration. For a person of standing such as Jairus, a public proclamation of the healing and restoration of his daughter would have arguably been a more impressive miracle for Jesus to perform. Yet Jesus chose to take Jairus away from the busyness of the crowd to the privacy and seclusion of the home to bring his daughter back to life. Similarly for the woman, Jesus responds to her faith in the way she needs most. He seeks her out amongst the crowd. He responds to her bravery and faith to seek him out in a busy crowd and restores her publicly. She is not just healed, she is restored. Go in peace and free from free from and free from her suffering. And as far as I can see, she's the only person in the gospel who Jesus ever calls daughter. A woman with no name, derided by society, brought to restoration and called daughter by a king. It's here we must acknowledge that. For both Jairus and the woman, they both received what they needed, but probably not what they thought they wanted. Jairus wanted his daughter to be healed, and perhaps would have been overjoyed at Jesus healing her, as he did with the centurion's servant, because his main priority was the wellness of his daughter. And for the woman, she would probably have preferred to be healed in quiet privacy, away from the glaring eyes of those around her. <coughs> Yet Jesus chose to respond as he did because he knew what both people needed. Healing is but one part of the story of Jairus and the woman. 
It is primarily a story of Jesus holistically restoring what was broken and making right that which was wrong. And it's at this point that the account of Jairus and the woman diverge. The woman has been freed from her condition and her suffering, but for Jairus, he receives words that Jesus is too late. Verse 35, while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead. For all the risk shown by Jairus, the faith on display, the bravery and the courage in approaching Jesus, it has all been rendered redundant as his daughter is dead. What does this say to the surety of faith shown by Jairus? He was confident that she would have been healed and lived. Yet here he is being told that she is no longer alive. We can all imagine the questions that would have swelled in his mind. Should he have left his daughter in the first place? Should he have sought help elsewhere? Why didn't Jesus just heal her with a word? Why did he stop to address the woman in the crowd? And could she not have been healed at any other time? And so we see that question comes. Why bother the teacher anymore? It's a question of resignation. Why bother him? Because he clearly can't help us anymore. It's a question that is actually laced with apathy. Stands in direct contrast to the faith and determination shown by both the woman and Jairus just a short while earlier. Yet packed into this question are numerous reasons to doubt faith or the ability that Jesus has to restore even the most dire of situations. And it's here that we must reflect on the account of Jairus and the woman and ask ourselves the same question of where do we find ourselves? Are we convinced that a simple touch of Jesus' cloak is enough? Or have we stopped bothering the teacher? In the injustice in the world around us, do we believe that Jesus can and will restore what is broken? Or do we pass that off as dead, beyond help and beyond redemption? Do we bother embarking on a risky adventure of faith to seek out Jesus as we know he's the only solution to the ills we face or do we consider that all beyond him? If you doubt or fear that Jesus is capable of restoring that which is broken, read again the account of the woman. Mark writes her account in such a way that we are jolted into noticing her. From the sensibility suiting picture of Jairus and his innocent daughter, we are suddenly faced with the brutality and the reality of suffering 
and pain and exclusion. She is forced into the narrative, not just so that we notice her, but that she acts as a clarion call that whenever we are faced with injustice and brokenness, it is beholden on us to bother the teacher. It is beholden on us to interrupt and to crawl on our hands and our knees if we must, <coughs> embracing the shame and embarrassment to touch the cloak of the only person we know who can make a difference. Why bother the teacher anymore? We bother the teacher because he is capable. Despite the doubts and the knowledge that he is too late, Jesus raises Jairus' daughter from death. Life and restoration ultimately take the place of pain and suffering. We bother the teacher because he wants us to bother him. Jesus responds with grace and favour to both Jairus and the woman, both who ultimately interrupt him and plead for him to intervene. They both model the approach and posture in addressing Jesus. And we bother the teacher because what we consider dead, he considers to be just sleeping. There is no situation beyond the reach of Jesus, no death or illness, no amount of social rejection, no shame, no suffering, no pain or fear that is too far too great or too vast for him to overcome. We bother the teacher because when death surrounds us, as it did with Jairus, he whispers to us, don't be afraid, just believe. Believe that I am who I say I am. Trust me in this uncertainty. Trust that the current turmoil you face is not the end. There is definitely more for you. Amen. For more information about Hardwick Evangelical Church, please click the website link in our bio.